This is Pop Tech Nation. The weekly show where we talk about the most interesting stories taking place in the publishing and technology world. This is the week of July 20th, 2015. I'm your host, Shovik Paul, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Rom. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm doing great, show. I got one word for you. Actually, it might be two words. Spike ball. Spike ball. Uh, spike ball. I'm not going to go into it right now. Everyone should YouTube what spike ball is. A lot of people know what it is from uh, old Shark Tank episode, but this weekend I was out in the Hamptons at the beach. Our friends brought over this game called Spike Ball, and I mean, the good news is we played for three hours. It was awesome. It was great exercise. It's like the most fun beach game you could really play. The bad news is um, I'm officially hitting old man status because I woke up the next day. My whole body was sore. I was basically paralyzed. I couldn't move all from Spike Ball. But See, I am old, Mike, and that's why I don't play Spike Ball. And I decide to stay in and actually watch uh, the unbreakable Jimmy Schmidt. Or Kimmy Schmidt. I'm sorry. Have you have you have you seen this thing on Netflix? Um, I actually have. A friend recommended it to me. Uh, really funny show. Very very funny show. I highly recommend it to anybody that's listening. All right. So if you're joining us for the first time, this isn't a show about spike ball and and Netflix. <laughs> it, is, it is now actually. It, it, it has apparently become a show about that. <laughs> no, it's really a show where we cover all the hot publishing related topics and tech news in the industry, mm-hmm. and we go into details and and uh give our two cents on it and hopefully people find it useful we've gained a lot of uh subscribers over the last couple of weeks that we've been doing this Mm -hmm. uh we do this on a weekly basis and if you like what you're hearing please help us spread the word so mike should we get started with the headlines let's do it So Connie Nast announced that their digital audience has reached an all-time high of 86.3 million adults. So based on the Comscore reports, this is a 60% increase in their user base compared to June 2014. This now puts Connie Nast at number 21 on the Comscore's top 100 properties. I mean, Mike, this this is where every media brand's going this, these days, right? Especially magazine-type publishers or traditional publishers are saying, Look, we've got to really focus on user bases across the digital mediums, and how do we build that brand? It seems like Hyundai's uh, done a pretty good job of increasing their base here. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe I'm a little jaded because, I mean, you hear just numbers from like HuffPo and BuzzFeed, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at Condé Nast's like variety of brands, and it almost feels like it should be more than 86 million. But I think I'm just jaded by like the juggernauts of our industry. But it seems like they're doing well, and certainly it's an increase from last year. So that's awesome to see. Um, another you know key metric or stat that came out this week was that LinkedIn hits one million writers. Uh, Daniel Roth, who's the executive editor over at LinkedIn, wrote this post uh, just to focus in on the numbers. They now officially have over 1 million unique writers that publish more than 130,000 posts a week to LinkedIn. Something that I know they're also really excited about is that about 45% of those readers are in the upper ranks of their industries, so managers and VPs and CEOs. Um, you know, so, so, Mike, what, what do you mean by writers? So Yeah, so I mean – LinkedIn, a couple of years back, they started this – it was in 2012, they started this influencer program where they chose people 
that are apparently or supposedly influencers in their respective industries. And it basically gave them a simple, basic blogging platform to post news or comments or stories or thoughts to LinkedIn. And uh, I've always loved it because to me, LinkedIn is just one of the most interesting companies in the world because, you know, you think about there's just so many places for people to be casual or informal or non-professional. There's only one place to be professional, which is LinkedIn. Right. And, and, you know, and another thing that they wrote, um, in this post was, you know, just producing content isn't enough in LinkedIn's opinion. It's really conversations. And that sounds like a very idealistic, you know, very 2015, like it's not about posting, it's about conversing, but it really is like two weeks ago, I saw, um, a VP from a media brand, um, that I've been wanting to sort of chat with. And he posed a question about some new, you know, CPA or acquisition models. And it was something that I was very well versed on. Mm -hmm. I commented under his post and you're having a real conversation. I mean, to me, isn't that what business is about being able to throw your thoughts out there and not be pitched blindly by a vendor, just someone to organically comment on what they have questions about or what they want to talk about. And speaking of commenting, I guess because it's a professional environment, you don't find any trolls, right? I feel like on Twitter, on Facebook, you you maybe less so on Facebook, but especially on Twitter, you can't post anything without having trolls, right? It's actually a really interesting point. I actually, when you first started talking show, I wasn't sure if I was going to agree with what you're saying, but now that I think about it, it really is true, and and you're right because you're you're like there's less nonsense. It's just right? completely transparent, and they see where you're coming from, and they see what company you work for, yeah. so you're not going to just endlessly troll. If anything, you get a little bit of the opposite, you're where right. people get a little bit salesy on these right, forums right, 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 right. trying to push their own companies but some of the threads that i see are are really awesome because people are genuinely having just conversations about whatever it is yeah. business wise um and also you know the last thing i'll say about it is that i've reached out to businesses that have nothing to do with pub tech nation or other professional involvements that i have and just companies that i really respect yeah and generally people are Oh, cool. With connecting with you, you have a couple of questions about their business. It's sort of the old, like, let's grab coffee and just, you know, you know, shoot around some conversations. And, you know, LinkedIn really is a great forum for that. And, um, yeah, I'm going to start probably publishing and commenting more because in the past few months I've been doing it and it's been awesome. That's great. I've always been a big fan of LinkedIn. Also, by the way, the, the type of data they have on the back end is phenomenal, right? They're probably the only company out there that knows what everyone's titles are, what positions they have, what movements they're making, Potentially even they have one source of information that I guess nobody has, which is what jobs are people looking for? Most people don't know if it's, a CEO of a company is looking for another job. Scary, it's pretty yeah, it, scary, much data they sit it's, on. It's insane the type of data they have. Anyway, uh, we'll keep a close eye on that. Uh, the New York Times reported that the National Journal will be discontinuing its print publication by the end of the year. The company will still publish the National Journal Daily, which was the former Congress Daily and the Hotline Daily tip sheet, as well as the National Journal's website and their mobile app. But uh, they'll be folding up the print magazine, which unfortunately will most likely might result in in some layoffs and, and a transition there. This is becoming a bit of the trend, right? A a lot of publishers that I talk to, at least, say we've got to cut down on the print cost. Like the ROI is increasingly not there because, you know, the the CPMs are falling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Advertisers are all moving towards, you know, the online web model, CPC, etc. And they're trying to conserve and and really cut down on the print costs. Uh, As we know, Newsweek completely shut off 
print and then they came back. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I mean, what do you think? Is this, I, is I don't know, man. to see more of this? You, you got to me, maybe scale back your cost a little bit, but keep your print magazine going if you have a name brand. Like I've been actually putting a lot of thought into this recently and okay, we're officially away from, like the paradigm has shifted. The past few years, we've been looking at, you know, digital revenue compared to print and print is shrinking and digital is rising, but it's not rising fast enough, right? That is the conundrum of publishing. But like, let's even fast forward a few years, like, okay, print is not what it was, but you can't just call call you know a publishing company's initiative just uh, you can't just blanket it as digital right now we've broken it apart it's your web traffic your social traffic your multimedia your videos if you look at print as being just one line item it's still generating a ridiculous amount of revenue you know like i think stop looking at it like it's print versus all of digital and just start looking at it like if you are i mean clearly if they're shutting it down it's just not working from an roi perspective right. but if you ask me i really think if there's a way to maybe scale back on your writers or your paper quality like keep your print publication going because although it's not generating as much revenue and the circs are falling it's still a huge line item for so many of these brands to me you got to keep it going which is what newsweek saw right that's not that right. why they brought it back after a year right right pretty much and and look there's some value in certain cases for example i still subscribe to national geographic and print i like having it on my coffee table yeah. on my mobile device it's competing with the facebook's of the world mm-hmm. for my attention right which is trickier than on my coffee table which mm-hmm. is empty apart from national geographic and of humans in new york and you know it's much more limited you know and it sort of stays there hundred percent, hundred percent. And moving on to a different topic, something that I think a company we've been covering a lot week after week, but uh, back to Flipboard. Um, and the reason why we're talking about Flipboard, a couple of things happened this week. Um, we actually had at, well, Mike McHugh, the CEO of Flipboard, was at the Mobile Beat Summit, Summit last week and actually announced that they now have 70 million monthly active users. The reason why that number is really important and it's an interesting conversation is that it's a 75% increase from the year prior when they were only at 40 million. And the real difference maker is they launched on the web. Um, so, I mean, what, what's your take on that in the sense that well, my biggest question is they came out as an iPad app. They got their you know, 20, 30 million active users across 300 million installs. They moved to the web. Um, does this enhance Flipboard's uh, ecosystem? Uh, some people say it does because they're on more platforms. But then I think about monetization. I know some of the ad units they run on their app are just beautiful. And that's a big piece of Flipboard for advertisers is that it's more of that print-like advertising. I know they charge yeah. a pretty high CPM for that. So does this make the brand more I, valuable? I, I, I don't know, Mike. I mean, I guess they have to do it, right? They don't have a choice. Uh, uh, you have to diversify. First of all, to have 86 million, I'm sorry, uh, 70 million uh, users mm-hmm. uh, compared to what we were just talking about with Condé Nast that's been around for ages that has 86 million. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Pretty darn solid. That, yeah, that, that's you're pretty right. impressive, mm-hmm. right, in comparison. But I, I think the to me, Flipboard, first of all, is really an iPad brand for me. I love the reading experience on an iPad. Like if you ask me why I know a Flipboard or use Flipboard, it's because it's a better reading experience on my iPad, hmm. right? A web, I'm not sure. I also think that there's a lot to be seen in the upcoming months with the release of iOS 9 and Apple releasing Apple News to see what happens with this number. Does Apple start eating away at Flipboard's mm-hmm. audience? Uh, or do... Flipboard users just stick to it or maybe people see Apple's product and say, 
this is maybe I've been holding out on using something like Flipboard and I say, well, I'll check out what Apple's doing. And when I see it, I don't like it. So that makes me further want to use Flipboard. Right. You know, it's interesting because I actually went through a similar thing with Spotify versus Apple Music. There was all this hype about Apple Music and I got really excited and I said, well, I'm going to try this. You know, I've been using Spotify for a few years mm-hmm. now. You know, Apple Music comes out. I say, great, I'm going to do this three-month trial. I tried it, and quite frankly, it wasn't a great experience for me, right? It was it, – not that it was bad. It was just I have my playlist on Spotify. I like the way it's set up. There was no way for me to migrate all that over. And I was like, oh, forget it. I'll just keep using Spotify, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I wonder what happens once – like I think that's going to be very telling to see what happens once uh, Apple News comes out. Definitely. And I, I mean we should definitely add that – and I hope I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm pretty confident on this that this uh, first time that Apple's actually opening up – um, some like beta testing, not just for companies, but for individuals. Yeah, I'm pretty sure right. you can actually beta test iOS 9 yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could check out Apple News. So, I mean, it, it, there's a lot to be seen on that front. And the last thing I'll, I'll say is that there's been also a lot of hype around Twitter potentially acquiring Flipboard. Entrepreneur actually covered it in a story, um, which the story ended with, so should Twitter buy Flipboard? No, it should instead think about a new strategy for connecting its users to content that's not already old news. Um, I think that that comment is actually pretty misguided because that's the whole point of why Twitter would want to acquire Flipboard <laughs> right, is because right. they do have that sort of not the, necessarily the latest news but curation and more of long-form reading. Um, so I actually – I mean I know a lot of people are already saying this, but I really do think Twitter is going to purchase Flipboard. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. All right, let's take a quick break to give a shout-out to our sponsor of this week, Maz Digital. Maz is a company that creates over a thousand apps for magazines, newspapers, brands. Uh, basically, they have an awesome platform to create a, a stunning and useful um, and really great app. So if you kind of fit that mold and you are a magazine publisher, content creator, blog, newspaper, catalog. List, yeah, catalog, list goes on. Definitely check it out. It's mazdigital.com. They have more information on the site. And if you mention PubTech Nation, I believe they're giving out cl- um, new clients 10% off if you mention our podcast. Yeah, my great brand. Uh, we actually uh, we read a lot of uh, publications uh, every day I, uh, that that run on the mass platform. Forbes runs on that. USA Today Sports. I mean, some of my favorite brands run on that platform. Absolutely. You know, it's very easy to use, and uh, so go out and check them out. Check it out and give them a ring and mention Pub Tech Nation. Okay, so Mike, there was a great article uh, that came out last week, Mike. I, re- I really want to talk about this. It was, it was published by uh, MIT Technology Reviews, and uh, it stated that, and the article was titled, you know, something like Facebook uh, Insta articles just don't pay off for publishers. And the article was basically arguing that other media companies, like if you're a TV or a movie or music agency or, or a company, and you charge and make money off of syndication, right? While companies like the New York Times or BuzzFeed or The Atlantic that are now participating in the Facebook uh, Insta articles uh, feed, they are essentially syndicating it and just giving it away for free to gain eyeballs, right? So for example, next uh, Netflix will pay approximately $3 billion in licensing and production fees this year to the television and film industry, right? Hulu is paying 
$192 million to just license South Park. Spotify pays out about 70% of its gross revenue to music labels, right? And then you have all these, again, media agencies like New York Times that have been around for ages, much longer than, than any of these, uh, mm-hmm. these people, that are essentially saying, hey, take, take our content for free because we want some eyeballs. And I guess, look, you know, this idea of getting eyeballs and, you know, it works, except in this case, it gives users even one more reason to never go to that brand's website, which to me kind of doesn't make sense, right? Like, stay on Facebook. Don't ever come to our brand. I may just read this one article from New York Times and and I'll never read anything else because I'm off to the next article. So that, to me, actually, you know, is a reason where where I think there's a lot of validity to it. The other thing is, you know, I wonder, and, and, and Mike, like, I, I, I want your take just, on just, this. Just a, quick, yeah. just a quick question. So, I mean, basically, it's just highlighting this macro point, which is Netflix is pay- paying billions of dollars to video makers. Uh, Spotify is paying, I don't think the number is in billions yet, but probably hundreds of millions right. to uh, artists, musicians. Yet these written word content creators are yeah. getting guaranteed nothing. That's right. Apart from essentially uh, uh, a split on ad revenue that, that – Facebook is selling some ads yeah. against, and they're going to take take some sort of right. a rev share on that, right? I, I think what also complicates this matter. Look, BuzzFeed is in on the game with with uh, Facebook um, with this initiative with uh, Facebook Insta articles. Yeah, for them, it sort of makes sense, right? Because they are they have always been from day one about. Uh, getting eyeballs to their brand and selling mm-hmm. ads, right? And in this case, it becomes another medium for them to get ads. Again, I, I would argue there's no reason for me to ever then go to BuzzFeed. But let's let's say that that is right. the but, case. But, and they, that's but they don't run they don't run display or pre roll. It's all native content. It's like all, BuzzFeed is in such good shape because of that. They, you know? they are now. Take New York Times, right? Completely New York Times different. has always had a paywall model, mm-hmm. right? And now they're making this content available for free for an ad ad share, like a rev share. I have a really hard time, and so does, by the way, that was the argument in the article. To me, that is a very valid argument for not doing this, right? Where you're not getting anything, you're giving away content that maybe is behind a paywall normally, and you're giving people a reason never to go to your website. You know, where do you think this all lands up? Like, is this a good move, Mike? My my hypothesis is that for Facebook Insta articles or the new Apple News, which are two of the biggest talks in town... I think it's got to be this model where you know it, it, it leads like the, the article would lead to the premium experience, which would be on NewYorkTimes.com or you know maybe an app that New York Times creates. Meaning that you get a really good experience, it loads super quick, it looks great, but it is a little bit of a teaser to a longer piece of content or, or, or a more robust piece of content, which is behind a paywall. Is it going to work out exactly like that? I'm not. Mm-hmm. Positive because it's not. I'm, I'm not really describing anything that's brand new in ideology, right? right. Do, throwing out teasers, Flipboard already does that, also. But uh, I'm assuming Facebook's not going to let like in what you just described. Facebook doesn't want them to get off their brand either. If I'm in Facebook and I'm reading an article, they don't it usually preloads. They don't the Facebook, right? App, but they and need it's not serving ads in there, is it? I don't believe they're serving. Uh, extra ad inventory, like dissimilarly to Apple, which you're going to be able to opt into iAds. I don't believe that Facebook is offering some sort of um, baked in advertiser package, but we should check on that because I'm not 100% positive. Um, But look, just like Facebook might not want that, the publishers might not want to play nice with Insta articles. So I think there's going to have to be some dichotomy and some uh, agreement between the two sides on that front. Is it also just an indication of where 
publishers are as an industry right now where they're just desperate. It might be. I mean, Ooh. what is it? Like 30, 40, sometimes 50% of traffic's coming from Facebook. It's staggering. So, so you might as well uh, play, play that sandbox, For now. Right? For, for now. now. Exactly. Um, Mashable reported that Snapchat – their most recent update is putting news before stories from your friends. So, show I would ask you for your take on this, but I know uh, being the old man that you are, you've never <laughs> used Snapchat. By the way, show's, show's not actually that old. How, how old are you, show? I'm 38. 38. I'm 20. I'm 28. So 10 years apart. Actually, generationally, I guess Snapchat is what maybe uh, differentiates our two age categories because yeah. I'm sort of on the top end of people that are using Snapchat. But to get back to this. Um, uh, this headline, you know, have you seen the um, stories in on Snapchat? I have. I, you have. I okay. Have. It, it's it's the thing that I'm not too excited about it because it's not like look, it looks like, good. It looks cool. Yeah. It, it's, it reminds me of like magazine apps in 2010, and I know yeah. we talked about this before. It's very cool, right. Harry Potter-ish graphics right, coming off the screen. Around. Yeah, it, cool. It, it's cool, but when people fire up Snapchat, it's to see, you know, not safe for work pictures of someone partying on the weekend or whatever. Um, not necessarily. No wonder I don't use Snapchat, yeah. right? I don't have any of those friends anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You no. all have kids, and, and those pictures are on Facebook, Mike. Exactly. It's not as exciting. It's not exciting enough to make it a Snapchat. I don't think people are cracking Snapchat open to necessarily get their Condé Nast and ESPN updates. I understand understand why Snapchat's getting involved in that. Since day one, they're always trying to battle it out with Facebook for attention. I think if they put more you know, news and content in their feed, they're trying to – it's almost a way to diversify. But as a – I'm not a hardcore Snapchat user. I'm more passive, but I never look at it. I know some people do like it. This is classic. Like we got to see if, if users are actually going to be using these features because if so, I could see them sort of unbundling it and Snapchat making their own like news app. And it seems like it's a lot of work, right, Mike, for, for the publishers? Because oh, this content's not just like an XML feed going in – no, it, it's, it's higher production um, work and, and, you know, there's a lot of work going into it and it's only going to the Snapchat distribution channel. Uh, they're not even really monetizing it. Mm. And, um, so it's like a lot of the topics that we cover. It, it, is, it wor- is, is, it, is it worth it from an ROI perspective? I'm not sure. But they're only really working with the biggest brands who have, you know, the budget and the wherewithal right. to, to really get involved. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's getting so fragmented. Here we are talking about Facebook and Snapchat and you know, you have to worry about your Pinterest, and I mean, it, it's it's just like it's everywhere, yep. right? That that a brand needs to be these days. It's true. And I think that as as these social media platforms start offering ways for them to like essentially customize that content, and that also means more work. At some point, they're going to have to pick and choose and say, we can't allocate all the resources everywhere. Yep. Right. And create special content for Facebook, special content for Pinterest, special content for. You know, Instagram, essentially, that's content, you know, uh, Absolutely. And, and Snapchat, etc. So let's see where that ends up. Um, so, Mike, you know, we, we talk a lot about it. We're always, obviously always talking about monetization and, and ad units are a big part of this, right? Like, how do, you, how do you monetize Snapchat? How do you monetize Facebook? And I read this great article uh, in DigiDay that reported that ad buyers – have been slow to embrace attention-based metrics, right? So the argument basically is that, you know, as clickbaiting and other sort of abusive tactics, you know, that cater mainly to CPC, which is cost per click, right? Uh, and those are on the rise. 
The argument is the actual time spent on a page or a site is a better indicator of an ad's performance than just how many people click through onto that page. So the Financial Times has, has been testing this out, uh, you know, this whole like attention uh, metrics push, which they introduced in May. And essentially, it's an ability to buy ads on a cost per hour basis in the case of Financial Times, Upworthy, The Wall Street Journal, Economist, Bloomberg. The, the list is ever expanding, right? But it seems like, again, advertisers are just sticking to the older model of how many eyeballs that landed up as opposed to, you know, if someone's spending a second on that article and my ad was placed against that article versus someone who spent a minute reading that article, which one is a better, you know, user or, mm -hmm. or, or, or consumer, right? And I guess my question is, is this really a better metrics for publishers to offer? Or is this really because our publishers really doing this because their CPMs and CP, I mean, obviously CPMs are dropping this cost per click. They can't charge as much as their traditional, mm -hmm. you know, CPM model. Right. So are they just looking for a better way or, or a way to charge a higher fee for, for brand marketing? I would say this is better. Like if we're, if we're talking about DR, the direct response game, I mean, you're going to want to see conversions. You're driving someone to a marketing page to buy a product. Are they checking out? I mean, that's, that's really what's become more of the metric for success. But for brand marketing where it's, it's really is, um, just the branding, uh, I think engagement and, and, and time and attention does make a lot of sense. I know the big player in this space is a company called Chartbeat. Um, those listening probably have heard of them. If not, check them out. They, they have a platform that competes with Google Analytics to, and also does a lot of different things like measuring, again, like how, is the page moving? Are someone actually mm -hmm. engaging with this page? But mm -hmm. if you can't prove that, like what's the point of putting your rich media ad or display banner or whatever it is? Like To me, it's a very natural progression, and the more that the big brands adopt it and, and advertise and agencies are used to buying with these new emerging metrics, that's going to allow the mid-sized, the small guys to um, use the same sort of uh, qualifiers when charging people for ads. So I think if the big brands uh, do buy into it, which I know a lot of them are, for instance, I think all of them are using Chartbeat in some capacity. Mm. If they could really make it uh, become the standard, um, I think it definitely should be. So Jeff Bezos is doing some or has done some insane things for the Washington Post. Uh, you, you mean while he's not busy building a spacecraft? Yeah. He's, <laughs> Bezos is involved with a lot of different stuff. And when he when he made a really large investment into the Washington Post, um, I think a lot of people didn't know how it was going to play out. Uh, Fast Company recently named the Washington Post to be 2015's most innovative media company. Uh, check out that article. Just Google Fast Company and Washington Post and you, you'll find the article or you could, you know, of course, follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but just to quickly run through, I don't want to spend too much time because it was pretty long, but it's amazing. Like Bezos, from a leadership standpoint, he hires the Politico co-founder, Frederick Ryan, who apparently is running a very tight ship. Then engineering-wise, they actually um, bought a new design development office and they're calling it uh, WPNYC to make sure their, their engineering is on point. Something I thought was particularly interesting was the intersection between sales and engineering. So their engineers are involved with almost all, it seems like ad buys to to uh, ensure viewability of the ads and to make sure things are working as they should. And the list kind of goes on and on. I mean, distribution, it's easy for them. They had, uh, uh, from an OEM standpoint, they're now doing this thing called uh, Rainbow, which Washington Post pushes out, you know, daily di digest updates onto Amazon Kindles. Huh. I don't know how Bezos got a Kindle deal worked out. You know, that <laughs> seems uh, pretty tough for him. Right. 
But um, and they're giving out some of their content to over 100 newspapers to give – so the newspapers are able to give their readers free access to select Washington Post articles. They've even created a SaaS product, that an enterprise product that actually um, – uh, people can license that actually leverages open source uh, platforms like WordPress and other sorts of data that other regional newspapers can use. I know, and lastly, they hired you know 100 journalists that have amazing followings and uh, you know pretty much rock stars of the the digital media world. So it looks like he just from 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 content to technology to uh, promotional deals and offers. Bezos has done some insanely awesome things. And then the last thing I'll say is just from a raw metric standpoint, they're up to 50 million unique visitors, um, which is up 64% from this time last year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always wondered why he wouldn't just make that publication available to all Prime members, right? There's so much going on. Do they not not do that? I I don't think so. I I, I use Prime. I'm a Prime member. I get free music. I obviously get free free movies right. and TV shows. And they're doing actually a lot of original content around TV shows um, that, that's been doing really, really well. I, I've always wondered, why not just throw that I, in? I guess because... Bezos can only sneak in a few things. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, let's get it on Kindle, but I don't know if we give it all to Prime members. I, By the I, way, Prime Day didn't didn't work out that oh, well for you, huh? Oh, my God. I, I, I was, uh, <laughs> as you know, Mike, I was, I was telling you about Prime Day and how I'm going to buy all this great stuff on Prime Day. It, it was a royal mess. You, by the way, should have followed some of the tweets um, that, that people that were, were kind of pissed people about. People were really pissed. I, off I think people that. thought that the whole ecosystem of Amazon was going to be discounted um, when it was really more well, just like they select. They hyped it up by saying it's going to be better than right. uh, Black Friday. But I have a feeling, and I know you sort of disagree with me, but I think they're going to like you know release some numbers on what happened that day, and I think they're going to have like break some records. I mean, they already have. They said yeah. that they're oh, going to do this again next year yeah Yeah, because it was it was look here's the other big problem and i know we're getting a little off topic but the problem i had with it was fine even if you have limited items make sure you have enough especially stuff that amazon itself is selling right so they had their fire stick stick and their echo and stuff like that all products by amazon they ran out within mm-hmm. like less than less than probably even 10, 15 minutes in some of the cases, yeah. you know, and then it was really frustrating because I, w- I would have bought some of those things, at least have enough in your inventory. Uh, anyway, moving back to uh, th- this week's podcast is all over the place, yeah, Mike, yeah. Uh, but it's great. I love it. Uh, so moving on, uh, Tab Times reported that tablet sales uh, have plummeted while phablet usage and sales have continued to grow. I don't know if this is a surprise. I think it's interesting news to note. Uh, look, the whole phablet concept. But by the way, do you use a phablet or I? I rock the five S. Uh, the six plus is just it's, way it's too, too big. big. I'm, I'm right. gonna you know upgrade to whatever the next version of the six is. Yeah, I think yeah, it's the yeah. right size. Phablet's yeah. a little bit too big for it. It actually pocket. hurts my hand. It's I also, too big. you know, I live in New York City, riding the subway. I I try to like. I always have different things that I'm doing, I can mm. only hold my phone with one hand and type with it with one hand, you know? So it, it, it is interesting. I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, again, I, I don't think many of this is a surprise, but uh, I, I only feel that, like, again, tablets are going to have much more focus usage in, mm-hmm. in, in, especially with iOS uh, now 9, you can start doing multitasking, multitasking yeah. watch movies while using a spreadsheet. It, it, it That's kind of stuff is going to be uh, maybe... 
have an upward tick for tablets? Well, let's see. Yeah, I, I, I have similar experience. I don't use my tablet all that much, but when I do, I'm like, this is the greatest device ever just because the <laughs> yeah. screen size helps so much. Uh, we read another really interesting article uh, this week. It's called The Rise of the Mobile Editor. You should definitely check it out. Great article, Mike. It, yeah, it, it was really interesting. It, it's basically um, making this um, – I don't, I don't want to say assumption, but uh, basically suggestion that you know all media brands need to start thinking about hiring a mobile editor if you don't have one already. And um, you know, as for what these qualifications of a mobile editor looks like, we had a quote um, where it should be someone who is obsessed about the user experience and how to get people more uh, consuming more of the news brands, journalisms, uh, someone that really understands the screen size of being three to seven inches, um, and understanding that you know not everyone's going to have again a long form experience on their phone or their watch, um, you know, it's funny, I, I don't, I've never been a, an editor for a publication, but to me, the, the thing that gets really interesting, I mean, you have to think of things as being, you know, okay, a tweet goes out, where can that lead to? What multimedia capacities can can spawn from a single tweet? Where I think things get really interesting is that final mile um, in terms of curation. Like, are mobile editors supposed to be the curators of a brand um, when you start to think about apps and newsletters and ways for people to personalize their feed? Um, should that be done by an editor or should it be more like algorithmic when you think about like the actual discovery? Like, I'm using a brand's app. Should it be an editor curating for me or should I be like setting preferences? And Yeah, I mean, I th- I, I – I do think that part of the value of a magazine's always been that I don't have time or sometimes the smarts to curate something. And so let's let the experts curate it, right? On the flip side, it's been a cost issue for most publications to curate. Now, so they've used algorithms, et cetera. Now, as we've seen with Apple Music, et cetera, like we're moving back towards this, you know, paid curation model where you pay someone to actually go in and curate, right? Whether mm. it's DJs or whatever else, right? And I think there's there's a lot of value to it. I, uh, To me, the funny thing is, uh, or, or, or the thing that never gets taken into account is the word mobile is very broad, right? So the way, Mike, I use my phone and what I'm willing to read on there is very different than what I'm willing to do on a tablet or a phablet, mm-hmm. right? Usually if I'm on my tablet, I'm, I'm, it's, it's to me much more of a lean back device. I'm leaning back on my couch, you know, watching TV, reading a magazine or reading a newspaper in, with long form, which I would never do on my phone. I don't, I don't care what you do to the sides of the text. I'm just not going to do that, right? I think as a mobile editor, what needs to take into what, what will succeed is if they start catering not just web versus mobile, but start catering on specifically with like a segmentation of devices, you know? And and I think that's where a mobile editor could be very successful is how do I take this article and make it meaningful on the web, like in format wise, what's meaningful? How do I make it meaningful on a tablet, on a mobile phone, and now like wearables, right? How do I make this thing now meaningful on a watch? I just get get worried about like just over siloing like your responsibilities as an editor thinking about but maybe you're right i don't know it, it, breaking things down by device because that was a big piece of the uh the article was that mo- it's not just mobile it's just small you know smartphones right. and big smartphones tablets and what differences in terms of how you curate or how content looks or where it leads you and these are all things i guess they really do need to think yeah, about and, and really like the job of an editor is to get people to read like what will people want to read right and, and in this world that we live in it's become what will they read on what device you know, sure. uh, a quick breaking news for today, uh, very non-technology related, but I thought I'd throw this in because this is big news. Harper Collins announced today that uh, 
uh, Harper Lee's Ghost Set A Watchman, uh, which is obviously the, the follow-up to To Kill a Ma- Mockingbird. Uh, by the way, it's only been available for a week now. has already sold more than 1.1 million copies uh, through booksellers in the U.S. and Canada, making it the fastest-selling book in the company's history. Uh, have you read this book? The original? No, 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 no. No, I haven't. I have it, not. It's interesting. I actually read it this weekend, uh, or, or parts of it, actually. Uh, I haven't made it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this very... M. Night Shyamalan moment where I realize Atticus Fish really is a uh, Finch really is a racist. Uh, it's pretty funny. Speaking of uh, Mike, I have some other very non-related exciting news as as it relates to comic books. Okay, Galley Cat reported that there's going to be a new crossover series by DC Comics, which unite the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Batman. You know. My history with the Ninja Turtles, I wanted a Michelangelo costume for uh, Halloween when I was like eight. <laughs> and my mom, who I have the best mom in the world. She's amazing. But uh-huh. she bought me a Raphael. Uh-huh. I, and you're scarred? I was inconsolable. <laughs> so I don't, know if I'll bring, I don't know if I'll be able to bring myself to, to read this book. I'm more of a Michelangelo guy and I got a Raphael costume. So it's kind That's of scarred funny. me. It, it, it seems like even when the, in the comic book world, you know, which has always experimented with crossovers, that this is – Pretty unique, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm also very excited about the Batman versus Superman movie. Uh, let's see how Ben Affleck <laughs> as Batman does overall. I, I guess anything's better better than Clooney, right? Or, well, I was going to say Ben Affleck and Daredevil was uh, kind of weak sauce, so we'll have to see how that plays out. And uh, one last thing for this week was there was a really awesome infographic. It's uh, there's a lot of infographics about how mobile's taking over the world, and we all know um, that that is the case. But um, check out. Our, our um, again, our, our Twitter feeder or Facebook. Um, it's an infographic from FIP that just kind of breaks down different regions and compares the total mobile traffic from 2010 to now. And it also points out that we are officially at the point where there are more smartphones than humans on planet Earth. I think that actually was a really? pretty wow. yeah. I think in the past few months we officially crossed that uh, that line. So I don't. So does that just mean we're, we all have multiple smartphones? Or? Uh, yeah, or like old smartphones that are I like yeah, just selling on like eBay or reseller sites. But yeah, more smartphones than people over seven billion. Amazing, amazing. Well, that concludes the show for today. Couple different closing points, uh, Mike. I every week we we go over some corrections from the previous week. Sometimes we babble on and we say things that aren't. 100% accurate. And some, some of our, we're very grateful. A lot of our listeners uh, write into us and they correct us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was last week's? You know, last week it looked like we only had one major one. It was my, it was my bad. I, when I said it, I thought it sounded a little weird. I said one billion WhatsApp. WhatsApp has one billion users. Apparently, the numbers um, closer to like half a billion, which is still nothing to, to not brag about. It's a pretty large number. But <laughs> What's WhatsApp, the difference of that? Point? Exactly, exactly. One I, billion. I stand by what I said. It's still a billion. <laughs> <laughs> well, if not now. It will be in two weeks, right? Uh, All right, great. Well, listen, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, This week's uh, podcast has been, as usual, uh, hopefully you guys found it very informative. Uh, Please do subscribe to this podcast uh, if you haven't already. Let your friends know about it. Also, as Mike mentioned earlier, to see all the links to the stories that we've covered in our headlines, please go to our Facebook page and search for Pub Tech Nation and follow us on Twitter. Also, if you have recommendations for topics for us to cover or if you have just, you know, questions, concerns, whatever else it is, drop us a note. And and that's at PubTechNation at gmail.com. That's pubtechnation at gmail.com. And again, a big thank you to our sponsor this week, Maz Digital. Check them out, mazdigital.com. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. Have a great week.